As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm seated with, <laughs> seated with Paul Shaver, Ian Galloway, and Bryce Hakama. Welcome to the table, gentlemen. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about famous men. The famous men series are a series of books that our students read typically in grammar school and the grammar school ages. And I think there are a lot of interesting aspects of these books that are worthy of conversation. But before we get there, Paul, I know it's your habit to read the, read the forest. And as hunting season mm. comes near and the farm, but are you reading any actual books? I listened to one recently, oh, yeah? actually. Yes, I was, um, well, we talked about in the last time we sat down that I'd, I'd listened to Zorro, mm-hmm. uh, or the curse of Capistrano rather. Um, but so then, then that got me on the idea of short for short novels I can listen to while I'm out on the farm reading mm-hmm. the book of nature. I can read two books at once. Uh, <laughs> So I, um, probably against my better judgment, but I'd heard so much of the book, The Alchemist, mm. that I decided I was going to listen to it and see what all the hubbub was about. And um, now I think I'm getting a group of guys together to discuss it oh. because it's, it is thought provoking. I, I would say it's- Who's the author? Paolo Coelho, I think is okay. the way you pronounce it. And is this it. a uh, modern or older Yes, book? it's modern. modern. It's one of these things where, you know, I always say I've- I've regretted every every book I've picked up that was written within the last fifty years. Sure, um, but this one was actually. I, mean, I probably still regret picking it up, mm. but it is very thought provoking. Okay. So as as a thought provoking book, it's what, it what genre, some. and how is it thought provoking? Is it philosophically thought provoking? Existentially thought provoking? It's genre is uh, medieval. It's it's set in the Middle Ages, and it's just it's fiction, but it is it is intended to be a work of fiction that questions certain ways that you view the world. Mm. I think fundamentally it is gnostic. Uh, fundamentally, it it has some serious fundamental flaws, but um, it it couches them sometimes in religious terms. Mm. And so it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it, I don't recommend it, but it is, if you're looking for something to just kind of make your head go, huh? And then throw it in the trash. It's probably good. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, so I picked up, uh, Kafka's metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. You guys read yeah. that? Oh yeah. Very short. And the premise is that a traveling salesman, wakes up and he's a bug <laughs> and hilarity ensues. I've not read that one. It's, it's interesting so far. Yeah. It's very short, but I, I'm uh, like, are maybe short is a, like a hundred pages. Or is it like a novel or is it on, like a short? No, story? I'm reading it on audio. So it's two hours. So I have no, oh, idea okay. That's shorter than the is, alchemist but, was four hours. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's, that's real nice and short. Yeah. And I'm, I'm one car right in. Okay. Ian, I am still working through Don Quixote and Chugging along, enjoying it. This is very funny. What part are you at? I'm still in the first part. So okay. I'm in part one, but I am 
in the first novel within Don Quixote, in the, what is it? The novel of the recklessly curious man. Mm. It's a story of mm-hmm. uh, yes. Anselmo and his friend and... Uh, what was this? I can't remember. Lu, Lu, it starts with an L. Yeah, yeah. It's Lutario or something like that. Lutario. Yes. So just getting into that. Interesting. And to be fair, you're up against a deadline on your thesis for your master's yeah. degree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you're probably reading hundreds of pages of books. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm reading lots of books right now. But that's so I, I discovered that I had a uh, final draft due in just a couple of days when I'm still in very much rough draft mode. But I've been able to work that out. I'll be able to submit what I have with the intention of actually completing it by December. So, so you are but reading a lot, but just maybe reading a lot. That's, that's more skimming though. You know, sure. I'm looking for very specific bits of information, trying to find, um, you know, some examples from the text that I'm translating, trying to find where it may have come from. So it's been and, and the text you're translating is from a book called the Peshitta, which is a Syriac yeah. translation right. yeah. of the Old Testament that's really yeah. relevant for biblical studies. <laughs> yeah, it just is. for it anyone is. listening to this who would be like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, that's kind of a weird thing." Yeah, to, to be doing in your off time. It is. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's interesting, very fun. So I enjoy it. Bryce, what have you been reading recently? <clears throat> what have I been reading recently? Um, I have not traditionally been a big reader mm. uh, in my in previous to starting to work here. Wow. Um, but I have started working my way through uh, The Name of the Wind, which mm. I'm yes. really, very good. Very yeah, good. Yeah, I wish. I'm through the first five chapters yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And if you've never read it, he does framing devices for the first five chapters mm. and then the plot finally starts. And so I'm finally getting into the meat of the actual story. Um, my wife and I have finished the first two books in the Chronicles of Narnia oh. for our collection of uh, conversations that we've done so far that you guys have done on this show so far. Um, and finally, I'm reading a play right now, actually, okay. Tuesdays with Maury. You guys have ever read that? Mm. Modern? Uh, older? Yeah, modern. Okay. It's very good. Play, name of the playwright? Uh, I'm not going to be able to remember it right now. Okay. Okay. No, but it's good. Genre? Uh, slice of life, a coming of age story, but a coming of age story that happens later in life. Mm. You know, a uh, mm. 30-year-old man goes wayward for the first 20 years or so of his life comes back home, finds this old high school teacher who tried to impose some wisdom on him uh, when he was younger. And then he comes back and engages in these conversations every Tuesday mm. uh, with professor Mori. And so it's these uh, recollections and insights on, on life and philosophy. And it's, it's a very interesting show. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Yeah. So transitioning from what we've been reading, which typically the reason that we, the three of us sounds like Bryce more recently have been our readers is because we love story and story is really fundamental to the work we do. And that is very fundamental to famous men. And so Paul, I want to start here when we talk about the famous men books, when we, uh, when you got the question, how should my school teach history in grammar school? or using the Memorial Press curriculum, where's the history in this curriculum? How did you answer that question? How do you answer that question? I think fundamentally, the the pathway of learning for a young child is from the concrete to the abstract, hmm. right? And so when it goes, when, when we look at history, the idea of the Berlin Wall falling in 1989 is a very abstract thing for a student uh, it's abstract in that it's a different place. It's a different place. There's they've never they've they've never put their hands on the wall. They've never even they mm-hmm. don't, they don't even 
really know how to conceptualize of Germany or the USSR. Um, they, they, they probably don't even have a good grasp of world war two and what that meant. Right. And, and so all of that and 1989 is before they were born. And so, right. Sort of try to trying to put meat and bones on all of that for them is very difficult. Right. And so, but, but when you tell somebody the story of some man or woman that lived and by telling them that story, they have to, they, they start to feel the culture that it happened in. They start to feel the time period that it happened in. When you talk about swords and shields, you're like, oh, this isn't today, right? We don't use swords and shields today. And, and so they, they get a feel for it. It all becomes much more concrete because it's centered in a person and they know people. Right. Mm. And so they, they're, they're imagining it, it really fills their imagination with something that's more concrete mm. than just a name and a date. And so since we're going from the concrete to the abstract, generally speaking in the path of, of learning, then, you know, and of course at the end we want them to, to, to know that Rome was founded in 753 BC. Mm. Right. And that's a very abstract thing, right? It's just, it's a, it's a date and, and it was a foundation. Right. But if, if they can, can, concretely sort of imagine the whole story of Romulus and Ramus, then, then that that's something that they can grasp onto. And, and I mean, as an adult, we, we, we get that we can capture things better in story than just random bits of information, mm. but particularly as children, that's important. So in, in the elementary years, we use famous men books and they and, tell great stories because they tell great stories. And that is what children are going to remember more so than, you know, uh, Columbus, you know, sailed the ocean in 1492, right? You sure. might have a little mnemonic rhyming device that helps them remember it, but it doesn't mean nearly as much to them until they dig into, okay, then what happened after Columbus and, and why, who commissioned Columbus to come? And, you know, what was the story of Columbus, try, you know, trying to get gather up enough money to have ships to go do this vision he had, right? You, you know, all that stuff and all of a sudden, oh, okay. I, this all makes sense, more sense to me. Ian, you spend a good amount of your days talking to homeschool parents and advising them about curriculum. When, do you ever get this question? You know, how is history taught in the Memorial Press curriculum? And, and do you find yourself weaving famous men into that conversation? Yeah, I think so. Because I think a lot of people, A, that's just to be, to be frank, that's, a, that's, a, that's something that they have to have. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to work out, okay, what do I have to teach my children? What do I have to report to the state? All kinds of stuff. Yeah. And so they want to know what kind of history that we're teaching. Uh, they also may wonder like, you know, why aren't we doing more American history or something like that? Um, but I think when, when we're able to discuss like at this stage, these kids, exactly what Paul said, they need stories. They need models of virtue and vice. They need to know the right kinds of actions or the wrong kinds of actions, what not to do. I think that's how we often approach this conversation with, with famous men of Rome or famous men of Greece. Like the, these are, these are figures that existed. And sometimes maybe these stories don't have all um, the, the elements. Maybe they're the things are not necessarily covered at this age. That's fine. Mm. You know, there are things that, that, that students will get to. And as they get older and as they begin to think more abstractly, yeah, maybe then at that point they need to start thinking about, 
the reasons why things happened. Make those historical connections. What you know? What are the things going on here that have that have um, influence and and outcomes over here? But they're not there yet when they're reading these kinds of books. Mm. They they need to know. Okay, you know, Cincinnatus was a good man, mm. and this is what he did. Mm. So Bryce, one of the reasons you're sitting at the table is that our marketing team, you're on the marketing team here at Memorial Press for those who don't know. And one of the projects the marketing team has done, and hopefully somebody who's listening has seen these videos, are a series of videos we did about the characters in Fierce Man. And I know you did a, a lot of work on those videos. Yeah. And you've told me before, you weren't classically educated growing up like many of us who mm-hmm. work in Memorial Press. No. Were there particular things about these stories that you were kind of learning mm. for the first time that captivated you as the team was trying to put these videos together? Yeah, I think Greece is probably the best example because we worked through Famous Men of Greece first. And so I live in that for a bit. Just knowledge based, in spite of the fact that these may not be necessarily factually dense as a lot of other texts might be, it, there's a ton in there that was just not encompassed in my education whatsoever. And so I found characters that I could really love when I was reading um, Demosthenes. He's hanging up in the wall back over there. Like he's one of my favorite characters now as a result of doing this show and in doing the show, needing to read these books specifically. Um, It makes me envious that this could have been a part of my education and it wasn't. so the characters themselves are one example. Then the other example is, I think I think a, a good example that I could probably provide here is that the Battle of Salamis is this huge, enormous event that takes place. Everybody's there. <laughs> Every, so many of the characters, if, if you're currently teaching this book right now, the Battle of Salamis, go look it up. Everybody's there. <laughs> and it was such a cool revelation as, as we're doing more of the episodes of the show, like, oh, wait, He's there and he's there. Oh, everyone is here. So anybody who becomes anybody <laughs> in the history of ancient Greece is is at this place in this location. It just becomes this interesting uh, fixating point in history to to lock mm. onto. And you wouldn't know that. Right. There's there's so much that you wouldn't know um, in regards of if you if you never read it, if you yeah. had the opportunity to engage with it in the first place. I think- I, can I just say in preparation for this episode, we don't normally get to prepare, but I did get a sneak peek what we were talking about. So I just went through and read the table. I cheated. I cheated. You you have the invite to the pre-production meeting and you just don't come. All right. So don't blame that on me. (laughs) So I was looking at the table of contents and as I was looking through them, I, and and I, when I was a child, I remember we used famous men of Rome, famous men of Greece. Mm, mm, so mm. like those ones aren't, I don't know if we have, if I, if we have famous men of middle ages when I was a kid, but going through the table of contents, I was like, there are so many names in here mm-hmm. that in any standard history course, the student would never mm, be exposed that's to. That's right. Yep. And, and yet you get to learn all about their lives and in, in so doing, learn that period of history it's fascinating. Yeah. I was actually blown away by that just today, looking yeah. at again at the list of names. And I, I love the point that Bryce made about, you know, even someone like Demosthenes, there's something about relating to these characters mm-hmm. that when you encounter them in the more maybe factually dense history that students mm-hmm. do in high school or college in their world civ class, that they're like, I love that character. Mm-hmm. And, and it actually is planting the seeds for loving learning later on the golden part of the books as i read them because the the series in and of itself is narrative like that that was that was the goal the objective Mm -hmm. was to tell the stories and when you get to the books themselves they are just narratively Mm -hmm. 
golden, narratively right. rich. And for a lot of other educational systems out there and other history systems, it would be, oh, that's a name on a wall with a date. And that's all you'd get. Mm. And you'd get, this person did this. And what you were describing at the beginning, it is the factual events of this person's life. What this does and what these books do specifically is that it unlocks the doors to the stories of these characters' lives mm. and the significance that the narrative events that play out. And it's it's easier to follow. It's easier to engage with. It's just fun to read. Right. All right. So speaking of the dates and the names, Paul, one thing someone could say approaching these this curriculum is, A, how is my student going to navigate the time the timeline of history by using these books? And B, if you look at our course scope and sequence, we suggest that you do Rome before Greece. It's actually not in order. Sure. So are we doing a disservice to our students by teaching them history in a way that's out of order? Um, and will our students ever be able to grasp a timeline? And then let me throw on a C if you can keep this all in your mind. <laughs> the first several chapters of Famous Men of Greece are based on mythology. It's not even history. And we also the beginning of classical studies dollar screen myths. Defend yourself, Paul. A no. Remind me what A was again. <laughs> <laughs> A was are we doing a disservice to our students by teaching them uh, non chronologically? Yeah. Um, so if we start with that one, I remember. I, I was I was glad you stopped me because I don't remember B. Um, <laughs> so no, we're not doing a disservice because again, we're trying to go to the most comprehensible to the most abstract, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Rome is mm -hmm. much more comprehensible because it functioned as first as a monarchy, then a republic, then an empire. Uh, the, the Greece has so many convoluted city-state inner, inner wars between themselves. Then Persia comes in; they all unite. Then, then you've got this this Delian League, and what is that? It, it's it's really kind of convoluted about what's mm -hmm. going on there. Um, besides the fact that there there were so many sort of pockets of you know of different what was Greece, but they had their own little name. And so then you, mm, you got right. all the, you got a, a bunch of issues with names too. Right. Going on in famous in of Greece. So it's, it, that's just easier to grasp when you're a little older and you know, and so when you're younger, um, famous men of Rome, it's just, it's very system. It's, in a sense, it's systematic in the sense that you can follow along. We're always talking about Rome and we're talking about one city and, and, and sort of the story of how that, how that went. So, um, no, I, it, we're, I think we're doing a service by doing it out of order. Mm. Um, B was timeline. Yes. Yes. Uh, so a little shameless plug here. That's why we have the timeline program. Right. Right. We do want the, the, the students to walk out with names and dates, but those are going to be meaningful names and dates That's to right. them. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. So we have resources to help them do that. I think even in the study guides, there's 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 there were there's more detailed timelines in there just right. for that book, uh, so they do they, they are helped to contextualize what they're learning, right? And see mythology. Um, I actually wanted to bring this up when when Ian was talking. You said something that made me think of it. Is that some of these stories are not real stories? that are that need to be told for the culture that is being passed that's on. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, even uh, I I've never I've never dug into actually the historicity of like the early monarchy period of Rome. Mm. But occasionally like I I sit there going 
The Dark Ones? Do we really know the Dark Ones existed? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Numa Pompilius? Well, I mean, whether we know it or not, like that's the story that was handed down and it says something about the Roman people. You know, th- that story says something about them. And so yeah. that helps us then know better this culture that's being passed on that the that the, then the 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 real men the the men that actually existed the um why they do what they do is because they're motivated by these stories that they've been that's told right. mm-hmm. from early mm-hmm. on a great example of this is lycurgus um and when i was working in the editing room there was a question at some point about something relating to his time frame and i went really deep on lycurgus is is it is it lycurgus or is it lycurgus well, I don't know. I don't. I, mean, you, I don't speak. I'm not an ancient Greek speaker. Okay. I couldn't tell you. Okay. Come on, I, Shane. Come on, man. All right. But anyway, you went real deep. So we went deep on it. Well, his historicity is dubious, but he certainly um, is an interesting character that inspired a lot of people mm. in mm-hmm. like Plutarch and Plato and and others. And so there is something like really foundational to his connection, specifically to the Olympics. Um, that is important to know and to know his story. But can you prove beyond a shadow of a doubt whether he was actually a human or not? I, no one really knows. He may have been a composite. The same is true of Solon and Draco kind of more famously mm-hmm. because they of their political philosophy. But um, I think Lycurgus just has a special place in my heart because I I just, I read a lot about who we, people think he was. Right. And I mean, when I talk about early Roman monarchy period, like I, would like to throw Cincinnatus in there, but I refuse to admit that Cincinnatus didn't exist because Cincinnatus is my guy. Mm. I mean, he's he, he's, he's a know, farmer. He's a farmer. That's right. Yeah. And he's just I didn't happy know that people question Cincinnatus' history. I don't know. I always, for whatever reason, I question it because it's so early in the Republic, but I don't, uh, but for all we know, he really could be a dude. I, I, At the end of the day, historians question everyone's historicity. They would question my historicity. Yeah. If it came down to it, that that's, that's the consistent through line as far <laughs> as doing the additional research to the book and trying to add in some of the, some additional historicity or historicity, however you say it to um, these characters was the massive debate that's ongoing about who was real, who was not real, who was <laughs> this absolute garbage person, who was the greatest person who ever walked the earth. It's, it, it's inconsistent anyways, and so we're entering into what are the stories that right. need to carry forward? What are the stories that matter to kids? What will teach them and transmit virtue to them? That's right. really what it boils down to. Yeah. So Ian, kind of picking up on what Bryce is saying there, there is some question about these characters weren't perfect. They weren't. That's right. You know, even, we're, and we're getting a snippet of a lot of these characters' lives. Do we need to be concerned about that as teachers and about mm. the the fallenness or the flawedness of the characters from the famous men series? No, I mean that's a that's a great question, but I I think as those who are committed to to particularly a classical and a Christian education, I mean the way that we that we approach any story like this is to recognize the humanity of people mm. that there is a fallenness to humanity mm. that is yeah. that is uncovered like we can't get over that you mm. know until until Christ comes and so that there's a grace that we have to extend to these figures uh, but at the same time I do think what we were talking about earlier that that you go from the concrete to the abstract we do a disservice if we bring in the abstract too soon mm. because students need at this at this point they need to be told stories about people who did good things and to and to see that as heroic and right and good. And later on, 
we can begin to instruct them. And we do, we do that in things like the book of the ancient Greeks. So you say, mm. so you do famous men of Greece. And then a couple of years later, you do the book of the ancient Greece where book of the ancient Greeks, where things are a little bit more complicated. They're mm. more complex. And, and what you're doing is you're allowing the student to develop. They learn the virtue and the vice. I mean, the other thing is, you know, you learn about Nero and we're not learning about virtue. We're learning about vice. Mm. We're learning about things that, that are not to be done. But at the same time, as you get older, you begin to learn about his complexity and you begin mm. to maybe at times understand things about him. And so you have to go from the concrete to the abstract. And part of that is at the beginning telling what's good and what's bad in very clear terms. And then as they get older, beginning to recognize that like any human being, there's a complexity here that involves both that has both mm. they're mm. fallen. I'd like to give Ian a hearty round of applause on that one um, because somebody could raise the objection that these stories are sanitized of the, the that of sort of complexity. Yeah. yeah. The reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but it's, it's important for these students to have those, those clear models of virtue and the clear instances of what happens when you're not virtuous. Mm-hmm. And we're participating in it. It's not like we just came up with this idea. This is a, a tradition that goes back a long way of telling stories about virtuous things that were done and leading about reading about their lives. All of these books were based on loosely on Plutarch and living and that <laughs> we're in that tradition that values virtue formation and stories. All it's been a part of that. That's right. Yeah. And you think about when you don't have like a plethora of books everywhere and before you're learning from books, what are you doing? You're just telling stories about people. Let me tell you the story of Joan of Arc, or let me tell you the story of, mm-hmm. of you know, Muhammad or St. Benedict or whoever, right? I'm just going to tell you the story of this person because you, you're not just going <laughs> to sit down and tell this kid, a, a, let me tell you the history of the 1400s in Ireland, right? Right. right? It, so we're just doing the same thing, just, just in book form. Yeah. Now, one question that strikes me is we have pointed out these characters are flawed, but we also are answering the question oftentimes, how do we teach history at Memorial Press? Are these good historical texts, even though these characters are flawed, maybe some of them aren't historical, there's mythology involved. Paul, how would you defend um, the value of these books as a good starting place for history? I think when you're teaching history, you're teaching a culture mm. and part yes. of teaching that culture is teaching that culture's stories. It, it, so, so, you know, it wasn't like we sat down like detectives and togas. We didn't sit down and write a fully fictional piece set in Roman times and said, well, we should stick that in famous men of Rome. No, these are stories that the Romans passed down to themselves and, and by extension then down to us. And that's what's in the book. Mm. So if, if we want to learn, what Rome was, we we even need those stories, even if they may not be 100% historically accurate. I mean, I think I'm going to, I'm just going to draw from something like the Iliad and the Odyssey, like these, these stories, Achilles, Hector, Odysseus, Aeneas, all these stories were so foundational to the people themselves and, and who they were. It was there. It defined their ethos. If we don't know them, even though we have no idea about the history of, you know, Troy and other things, and maybe we have some idea, but we don't know anything about what happened there other than what Homer tells us. Those stories 
are inseparable from the real people mm. that happen. Mm. They go along with the, the bricks and the stones that built those countries and nations and peoples. And let's be clear, the, the, the narrative itself makes clear this is mythology. Yeah. Right. Or this is, you know, a historical figure we're trying to talk about. So it's not like if you picked up this book and started reading it, you'd be confused about, wait, is this, is this mythology? Is this real? Sure. It's, right. know, it's, sure. it, it does make it clear in there. And Paul, do you think that speaks to the broader goals of history? Have you seen a difference between what we're trying to do in history education at Memorial Press or Highlands Latin School compared to what other competing alternatives might be trying to do in history? I I think setting students up this way, uh, I think somebody mentioned earlier about love of learning and and you know it just kind of sets them up for that. But I really do think it makes them. Uh, think about history differently. Mm. And so even when they hit the textbooks later on, where they're, you know, going through it chronologically and looking at, you know, the economics of the culture and this, that, Mm -hmm. and the other, they, they can still contextualize it as being uh, about people's stories that it means more to them. And I just, when you asked that question, I was thinking my wife and she, I mean, she can point to the teachers like the way he taught history made it. So I never, Mm. history has never interested me ever again. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and it, you know, and sometimes students just needed to learn things. They just need to do the hard thing and just focus on it, learn it. But if, if we can make it come alive, let's make it come alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what uh, this does. I had a, I had, first of all, a great history teacher for APS history in high school that inspired me with like a love of learning and not just a love of learning, but also taught us how to write. I mean, she did so much beyond just history because history is a subject where you get so many different things. I mean, you can get, you get stories. So you get some elements of literature you get, you, we talked about before in our guides, you know, we're drawing out vocabulary and all these kinds of things with history. You've got so many different things that you can get better at. You can build in a lot of skills, but I wanted to piggyback off of, you know, your wife having a bad experience. I had a great experience at, uh, I think it was Liberty, Liberty hall in Philadelphia. And I had a, this was years ago. I was probably nine or 10 years old, but our guide came in a, he was funny. It was just, he told us stories that were funny. He was funny himself, but the way he approached the history of that place, I mean, he almost made it sacred. Mm. It almost Mm -hmm. felt like what happened here is what America is, you know? And, and that kind of inspiration I think can only come from stories that, 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 Mm. that pass along those, those things. You don't get that from just the names and dates. You've got to know why a land is worth protecting mm. before you get to the war that protected it. Mm. Ken Dennis made a great point early, early on in, in this show um, in talking about teaching history to students. He said, you got to put the story over onto them. Mm. And I didn't understand exactly what that meant, but hearing him talk and then from that moving into putting the stove story over onto the internet and trying to communicate these stories in a way that people would be interested in them. Mm. And it's incredibly difficult. It's a, it's a very amazing skill to have. And one years of experience of telling stories can get us to that point, but these sets you up really, really well. Right. Well, and and Mr. Dennis was, he was a master of it, but he would, you know, he, he was teaching high school level. And mm-hmm. so you'd walk in, we're using these textbooks that are thick at that point. We're trying to go through chronologically and talk about all, everything. 
and you walk into any class and what is he doing up there? He's telling stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was what was making it come alive. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. So I want to ask you guys um, another question about the books, but I feel like I need to give you a second to collect your thoughts. Sure. Yeah. And that is, what is your favorite character or a favorite character mm. from the famous men books? Well, you mentioned Cincinnatus. Would you say he's a the favorite or? I think you explicitly called him your guy. He is my guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, in trying to like think back and and think of the people that I learned from in that book as a, as a student, uh, he's the one that I remember. Mm. I mean, it just it just stuck out so much to me of leadership. That's that you're willing to give up that leadership when your that's right. task is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna say that's exactly it. I mean, I I mentioned Cincinnati earlier because that's kind of the guy for me too. Not because I'm a farmer. I'm not a farmer, <laughs> but because <laughs> that that willingness to give up leadership is a powerful thing. I mean, and and you hear that kind of story, you're prepared for George Washington not going up for another term mm-hmm. for for mm-hmm. laying aside leadership when the time comes. And, and you have a, you have a precedent for that. So it pays dividends to have a story like that down the road when you mm-hmm. get to later on in history. Bryce, I don't remember if we did this character, Junius Brutus. We did not do Junius Brutus. Okay. So Junius Brutus is probably my favorite from Famous Men of Rome. He, he is one of the two consuls from the very early Republic that when um, Ty- Tarquin Superbus um, was coming, uh, was showing his arrogance. That's I believe right. it's his son who defiles That's a woman right. and he yeah. lets it go. Mm-hmm. He is the one who helps lead this rebellion in the, in the Republic. And then his own son is a part of the next generation that's yeah. bemoaning mm-hmm. the lack of central leadership that the Republic has. And he holds justice and ends up condemning his own son yeah. mm-hmm. as a traitor. And I've always found that story very compelling. Yeah, man I had three people and I still Wow. I'm going to toss up right now between Demosthenes and Aristides for famous men of Greece. Horatius for sure mm. in famous men of Rome. Yep. Um, I could, I mean, how's probably, that story not inspiring? It's, you know? it's incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, why, why do, why do 300 when you've got three versus a right. thousand? Like <laughs> yes. what, yeah. what, what are we yeah. doing? Um, I think, so there's Horatius in Rome, but I think in terms of, of, of Greece, I think I'd have to land on Demosthenes mm. still like to overcome the level of complications surrounding his inability to speak well, his uh, financial destitution, leaving him in a spot that basically said, there is no shot for you here. And to find the persistence and the perseverance to do outlandish methodology of learning how to speak and learning how to speak well, I think that resounds a bit in me and sure, uh, like sure. in, in as a storyteller, as a storyteller, story. actor, filmmaker, like the whole, the whole, all of that kind of lives inside of him. And so by, by proxy, I see myself in Demosthenes story mm-hmm. quite mm-hmm. a bit. And so um, there's just a lot of really good ones in there. Yeah. And I'd, that, li- I'd like to put out there that I've never liked Julius Caesar. Okay. Tell mm-hmm. me why that is. Why didn't you like Julius Caesar? I think because I see the movement from Republic to Empire as a fundamentally flawed action mm-hmm. that he was the catalyst for. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, uh, probably if I looked at it objectively, there's no way for Rome to stand without somebody doing what he did uh, because of the division that was happening in the Republic. But 
I've always, I've always been like, dude, just please let the, let, let the Senate be. <laughs> and I've always, in some ways I've cheered for Brutus. And Cassius, <laughs> apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one of the beauties of that play, Julius Caesar, is that throughout history, it really has been read both ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is a fascinating test case and just your like kind of political thinking mm-hmm. can be revealed by that I mean, character. I'll contribute to your point. I mean, the Pax Romana came as a result of Caesar Augustus refusing to be called emperor. He called himself consul. And that is significant to say he steps away from that empirical title. And in that, out of him flows this years and years of peace for Rome. He, so. he does, but everybody knew he had the power. He did. So, yeah. you know, uh, how much I of think, that I think, is... I think even in stance, like, you, you, taking a stance is the first start of, of making sure. better things but happen. But then, soon, uh, you know, then it just starts the pattern of as yeah. soon as the guy in charge dies, then let's fight a war figure out who's on top and then let's do it again. Yeah. Oh, just makes me sick. <laughs> so in, in an actual educational environment, whether it be homeschooling or in uh, a school, what should the goal be for our teachers who are reading these books to students or teaching these books? Should the students know every detail about the characters? Are you trying to inspire them? Are they trying to apply specific virtue to the students' lives? What do you think should be some of the tangible goals yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if I can necessarily speak to all the pedagogical goals like as you can or Paul can. Um, as an editor here, I I'm always really a, paying attention to story. I mean, that's kind of my thing uh, here. And when I look at something like this, yeah, I mean, of course, know the names, know the dates, like that. That's part of growing up. That's part of of learning a material and mastering it. But I think the highest goal of this is that virtue formation, which is, mm-hmm. I think the highest mm-hmm. goal of classical education is it's, it's, it's not just giving you information. It's, it's turning you into a kind of person, mm-hmm. a kind of a good kind of person, a virtuous kind of person. And so I think a goal, and I'll let you guys speak to, to that further. It, the highest goal I should say is, is that, is that impart, imparting of virtue mm. and which is why I think at this point, even if you have flawed individuals, you draw out what's virtuous and you hold on to that and you make that the thing. And as they get older, they still can recognize that there was something about this story that inspired me that made me a better person, a more virtuous person. I can hold on to that while still rejecting these other things. Mm. Sure. Paul, can you speak to the pedagogical aspects? Well, I think uh, for one, it's we make a full language study out of it too. I mean, so you're pulling out vocabulary, mm-hmm. you're doing comprehension questions, so they're learning how to read deeply as they do it. Uh, but they are they are walking out like with what Ian talked about with dates and names and 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 things like that. So, um, I sort of I think your end goals are. Uh, with alongside that sort of virtue formation and that inspiration uh, and alongside all of that, you're, you're seeking for the contextual knowledge Mm -hmm. that is going to be built on in literature and in history later on. Um, You know, that makes them a part of the great conversation. If you don't know who these famous men of Rome are, you're going to be missing large sections of that great conversation. Mm. And so, 
as well as some geography. Like you're going to, you, you have to know when we're talking about th- this war that's happening over here, what part of land are we fighting over? So all of those things do get pulled in that, but the major thing is you're going to know the people, the, the major facets of their story and when it happened. Yeah. I, I think to be very clear, there's no dichotomy between the virtue formation and the knowledge that comes alongside of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's great. Well, guys, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Enjoy talking about these stories. Love these stories. I know you guys too. So I'd encourage anyone who has not read them. It's not just for kids. You should pick them up. You should read them and you'll enjoy them. And there's a, that we, ha- we haven't mentioned it at all in this podcast, but there's a famous man in modern times as well. That's right. It's not any of the curricular packages, so it's, but it's good to pick up and read. Sure is. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.